This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem Qala bal sawalat lakum anfusukum amran fasabirun jameelun asallahu an yatiyani bihim jameean innahu huwal alimul hakeem Rabbi shahli sadri wa yassirli amri wa hlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli falhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in amma ba'd once again everyone assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh I am really happy and also a little bit intimidated that we're starting ayah number 83 of surah yusuf these are some of the heaviest uh, ayat of the surah uh, from many points of view so I Pray to Allah that I'm able to clarify some things that I've come to understand and appreciate about uh, these ayat And I'm able to do them some level of justice There's no way that we can extract every benefit, every pearl of wisdom that Allah has induced and injected into every word and every ayah of the Qur'an But we do our best and I pray that Allah gives me the ability to draw something of benefit for you And to be able to articulate that in a way that benefits me and benefits all of you in your lives inshallah so uh, what I want to start with is just a recap of where we are in the story so you appreciate the placement of the ayah. Uh, Yusuf salam has kept Binyamin. Um, he's told him that he's his brother. He's also hashed the scheme of holding on to the cup and then under that pretense detaining uh, Binyamin with him. The sons have gone back. They've told the father now that he's been detained and they, they, they were specifically told words to say. So the one of the older brothers or the most influential brothers stayed back and said, I can't face dad anymore. You guys go. But when you do go back, say this. And that's what we did last time. In ayah number 81 and 82, we see, go back to your father. Then go and say, ya abana ibn uh, Dad, our father, certainly your son has stolen. Now, pay attention to those words. They start with our father. So who are they attributing the relationship to? Themselves. Then they say, your son stole, no doubt. So that your son is actually meant, instead of saying our brother stole, right? Because they just said our father, which means all of us are brother. Then they said, well, we all see you as dad, but you somehow thought that this one was special, right? Just like you used to think Yusuf was special. Well, guess what? That son of yours? Yeah, that one? Yeah, he stole. And why are they making it sound like, why is he telling them to say that? First of all, the brother who told them to go and say this didn't say this to dad's face. He stayed behind in Egypt, right? He's like, I'm not coming back. So he doesn't have the, the, the gall to come and face his father and say this to his face. But when you guys go back, you need to say this. Why? Because that will, first of all, shift the blame from us. It wasn't us this time, dad. We took an oath to protect him, but how can we protect him from his own evil? He's, he's responsible for what he did. That's not that's taking responsibility off of our shoulders. Maybe you should have told him that he shouldn't be stealing. It's your precious son. He's the one who stole, okay? We had nothing to do with this problem. He created this problem. So this is their way of diverting the responsibility that they, they suffer. And they want to make sure that dad understands that they're not the ones to be held accountable this time. So obviously last time they blamed a wolf and this time they're blaming the, the sheep himself, right? So they're, they're going after the sheep and saying he's the one that stole, he's the one that that did it. And then, of course, the corroborating evidence go ask the town and everything else. 
right? And so they've told this story and they've told that, you know, we, we are going to tell this and we are telling the truth for sure this time. That's as far as we got. Now Yaqub is going to respond. What's his reaction at hearing this? Like he's hearing, I can't let you go with bin Yamin. Are you going to take care of him the way you take, took care of Yusuf? No, if you let go of him, you better take an oath, a sacred oath with Allah's witness. min Allah. Uh, an oath that binds you to Allah Himself, as if violating that oath will be blasphemy. Give me that kind of an oath that you will come back with him unless you are surrounded. And he did all of this exercise. And of course, he come, they come back and now another son is gone. Actually, two of them are gone now. Right? So when he hears this news, his immediate response is something we read a long time ago in the surah. He says, Qala. He, he said, Bal instead, rather, and we'll come back to the word rather, but let me translate first. Sawalat lakum anfusukum amra. Your egos made something easy for you to do. Your egos made something convenient for yourselves. You allowed yourselves to do something and make something convenient for yourselves from within yourselves. Now this is something he said actually some time ago. He said exactly these words when they came back with the shirt with the blood on it. These are exact words from several years ago at the loss of Yusuf. And then the words after that are فَصَبْرٌ jamil, Beautiful patience. Thus beautiful patience. Those are also identical words from the time that Yusuf was thrown in the well and they concocted that story. But the rest of what he says is different. He says, Asallahu bihim jami'a. Maybe or hopefully Allah will bring them all to the all to me all together. Maybe Allah will bring all of them together to me. So he's referring to Yusuf, he's referring to Binyamin, he's referring to Reuben or whoever, whichever brother stayed behind, the Armu Fasirun call him Rubil. Right? Innahu huwa al-alimul hakim, certainly he, he is the ultimately knowing. He is the all-wise. That's a rough translation of ayah number 83. But now let's start digging a little bit deeper at what's going on here. First of all, he's telling them, in, the, the first words are, he said, bal, or he responded, instead. Now what does the word instead do? Instead says, this story you're telling me that my son stole, and it's not your fault, and I can go ask anybody else. You're not telling me any everything right. I disagree with you. Instead, this is what's actually happened. So that instead is him rejecting everything they've said. This led our commentators to discuss this in detail. Is he actually rejecting their version of the story? Because this time, they actually have corroborating evidence. You can go ask anybody in town. You can ask the, the, the entire caravan that we traveled with. We couldn't possibly have convinced everyone to lie on our behalf. So if you don't believe us, you can go ask them. So they're supporting evidence for their claim. So then when the father says instead, it's not like the shirt scene. You have to understand the difference. In the shirt scene, clearly he could tell they made this up. And they're not very good at lying. Right, So he saw right through it, and when he said, your, your inner selves have made something convenient for you, have uh, allowed you to do something terrible, that had a certain meaning back then. But now it carries sort of a different meaning. So what is that different meaning that it carries this time? First and foremost, this time, one thing he's saying is that you are, it's so easy for, for it to come out of your mouth that your brother stole, that my son stole. You didn't say he was accused of stealing. You didn't say a, a cup was found in his bag. 
You didn't say there's been a misunderstanding. You didn't give him any benefit of the doubt. You incriminated him without a shadow of a doubt in nabnaka sarak. No doubt about it. Your son, in fact, he stole. Right? So you spoke with such certainty about your brother. You spoke evil about your brother. So let me make a comparison now. The comparison is last time you ripped your brother, you tried to kill your brother physically. Yes? You harmed your brother physically. That was Yusuf. And now you're harming your brother's dignity. Because when you say about your brother that he's a thief, without giving him any benefit of the doubt, and Yaqub knows his son better than that, he knows he wouldn't have stolen, and they've lived their whole lives with him too. He knows They know he's not the kind of kid that would steal, but the fact that with such ease they said that to him, that's also a kind of attempted murder. There's an attempted murder of someone's physical body, harming someone physically, and then there's killing somebody's dignity. And in the Qur'an, both of these are in some sense equated. In fact, one of them is made worse than the other. One of them, which is to, humil- to humiliate someone or to slander somebody, is actually in a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ considered more vile than disrespecting the Kaaba. Right? The Prophet ﷺ looked at the Kaaba and said that your dignity is, you know, how, how grand your dignity is. Ma hurmataki. But then he said, I swear by Allah in so many words. You know, وَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ I swear by the one who holds my life in his hands. He said, لا, لا, uh, حُرْمَةُ الْمُؤْمِنِ أَعْظَمُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ حُرْمَةً مِنْ حُرْمَتِكِ That the dignity of a believer is more sacred to Allah than your sanctity. He said that to the Kaaba. He faced the Kaaba and said that to the Kaaba. So if, if for a Muslim it's unimaginable, a believer, it's unimaginable to disrespect or disregard the Kaaba or speak ill of the Kaaba. You know, or to act in a way that's not right to the sanctity of the Kaaba, of the sacred house, then the Prophet is telling us that the believer is worthy of that dignity more than even the Kaaba is. And this is their own brother. And they're just casually, no doubt about it, your son stole. So what Yaqub is paralleling this time is, there was abuse the first time that was physical in nature, and it was an attempted murder and really kidnapping and you know selling at the best best case scenario sold him off to slavery or left him in a ditch to die or whatever happens to him happens to him he's no longer our problem physical harm and this time psychological harm dignity and you can hurt someone when they're not even in your presence so they brought false blood and this time they built, bring a false accusation they, build a, they, they should have been fighting this accusation. No, this has to be a misunderstanding. Last time, you people placed silver cups or, or all, of our, all of our goods, you placed them back in our bags. And when we got back home, we noticed everything's been returned to us, remember? They could have made the case, well, you know, sometimes in this government, people put things in people's bags and we don't even know when it happens. And last time, all of our goods were returned to us. They could have defended, right? They could have had some kind of case. They didn't go that route. So that's the first thing that Yaqub is possibly responding to by saying your egos, something inside of yourselves, makes it easy for you to do these things. This is a different manifestation. It's, it's a different branch of the same poisonous tree that made you hurt your brother so many years ago. It's, it's not the same exact thing, but it's not all that different either. It's coming from the same exact place. How easy it is for you to humiliate your brother in this way or accuse him in this way. So that's one meaning of, you know, sawalat lakum anfusukum amra. The second is, you resigned yourself to this accusation and you decided not to fight it and, 
you know, just come back so easily because it was so easy for you to let go of your brother, just like it was so convenient for you to abandon Yusuf. Meaning this is just another, it's just, it just worked out for you. You didn't like Binyamin anyway, and somehow you can't get him back. This, this is convenient for you. This is a convenient tragedy. Sure, it's a tragedy for me, but you're not all that broken up about it. You're not, it's not a travesty for you. You know, so that's the other comment that he's making in Sawalat Lakum and Fusukum Amra. Then there's a third dimension to this phrase that, you know, this is something that you have made easy for yourselves, is actually Allah even saying to them, or the Prophet Yaqub even saying to them, that so many years ago, you did something terrible. And you made that easy for yourselves to do. You convinced yourselves that that's something okay to do. And you did that to your other brother. And now you're, see, you're reaping its rewards. I'm repeating those words because the effects of that evil have not ended. They're still continuing. And this is maybe Allah punishing you for what you did before. Or this is somehow the evil effects of something that's carrying on before. If that isn't, and, and that has been suggested, and that possible interpretation is kind of paralleling what they say in the Bible, but except in the Bible, they come out and say, God is holding us to account for that evil we did so many years ago. So the brothers are actually lamenting and feeling guilty about what they did to Yusuf. And now they're saying, well, our brother is being arrested. It wasn't actually bin Yamin. It was another brother that was being arrested. And he's being arrested because of our sins and because, you know, he's being accused of, we're being accused of being spies and things like that. But it's that old sin of ours coming back, right? But in the Quran, they show no remorse. It's the father saying it's the same, it's another poisonous tr fruit from that same seed that you planted so many years ago. Okay, so there's these dimensions of that statement. But what is the, before I go on, every time I explain part of this ayah to you and how the story is progressing, I also want to tell you, take a step back and think about the situation in universal terms. Like what do we get from this scenario? And what are some scenarios in our lives that are similar to this scenario? What's basically happening is you've got yourself, in a, a person has themselves in a situation where family members or people that you depended on, people that you trusted, people that are supposed to be there, that are supposed to be a source of your safety or you can rely on them. Those people have now come to you with something that's hurtful. And they're actually not hurt by it. They're okay with it. And it's okay for them to engage in hurtful slander and to engage in resignation, meaning we don't have to struggle to find him anymore. It's okay. I mean, your son stole. That's what he deserves. What can we do? Kind of thing. So they're not on your side, basically. When you have your own loved ones not being supportive, your own loved ones hurting other loved ones in front of you, like for a parent, for example, a more direct example in our times would be for a parent to see one of their siblings hurting another one of their siblings. One of your children hurting another one of your kids. It's a devastating thing. These are both my kids, you know, and th there's good in all of them, but then there's this evil in some of them and I have to, you know, watch them do this and I'm too old to do anything about it or I'm helpless to do something about it, right? So there's, you can find yourself in these kinds of horrible situations where you're not being expected to keep quiet. The Quran's patience, the, the Quran's picture is not, well, you know, this is a test from Allah, just be patient. No, you call it out for what it is. Your this sawalat lakum anfusukum amra is Yaqub breaking his silence and saying, This is not okay. You made this okay for yourselves. Your ego's convinced in this of uh, you of this, but the evil will remain evil. But then he says those words again from back then. Fasabrun Jamil. 
therefore, beautiful patience. Now, what is that? You know, I, I talked to you a lot about beautiful patience so many sessions ago when Fasabrun Jimmy came because one of those heavy phrases in the Quran, it takes on a new dimension this time. And then we're going to take some time talking about Sabrun Jamil again. But first, we're going to talk about that fa and what that, why that fa is important. When loved ones hurt you and people around you are hurtful, then, therefore, you shall resort to beautiful patience. Fa, Sabrun Jamil. Right? So, is this about complacency? Let's ask that first question. Let me repeat the answer to that that I talked about so many years, so many days ago or weeks and weeks ago. Somebody might get the wrong impression that these guys get away with all kinds of wrong and the only thing Yusuf Yaqub is doing is I'm just going to have sabr. Right? I'm just going to be patient and things are going to work out. Like as if Allah is endorsing complacency. Allah is okay with him just sitting back and saying Allah will solve everything. I just have to have quiet sabr. Right? So that's a misunderstanding. And this is a misunderstanding we have to correct. I explained last time painstakingly, Sabrun Jamil doesn't mean he will do nothing. Sabrun Jamil means I've tried everything I can and I know it is completely out of my hands at this point and I will do whatever I can to not lose hope in Allah. So it's not about complacency at all. Somebody can't just sit on their hands and say, oh, I'm having sabr. That's not what sabr is. Now let's talk about why he's calling it beautiful. Why would he call patience beautiful? You see, another one of his kids is gone. Two, two more of them are gone. And you know, the son was so scared that dad is going to lose it when he finds out. I can't even face him. You go tell him, remember? So they know that dad was pretty, I mean, he almost he almost broke last time, but he had sabr. But there's no way he's going to hold on to that this time. He's going to lose it. And I can't bear to watch what it's going to do to him. So you know what? Sabrun Jamil. So, so you know what? You go tell him. But what does Yaqub say? He says the exact same words that hit him that came out of his mouth when the first tragedy hit him. What does that tell you? <coughs> you have done worse. You have done even worse now. You've, done, you've continued to be the same abusers that you were before. But that is not going to change who I am. I can still see what you're doing. Even though it means something else now. You're accusing your brother of stealing. You left him in Egypt. All of that. Fine. It's not. You didn't kill him this time. It wasn't you. I get it. There's corroborating evidence. I believe you. He did get arrested. I agree. This wasn't your scheme. I won't say, Only Allah can help against the lies you're making. He's not calling them liars this time. He's saying, but this was convenient for you. However, even though this has hurt me and devastated me, I, I don't allow what people do to me to change who I am as a believer. There's my relationship with you is one thing. My relationship with Allah is iman, right? Is my faith. And faith has a few legs. And one of its legs on this table is sabr. I won't let go of my faith. I won't let go of sabr because of what you're doing. And my, my relationship with Allah will not get ugly even though you're creating an ugly situation. Sabr will continue to remain beautiful for me. Sabr will not be a, a, an avenue that I will not use because it's an ugly option. No, sabr is still the beautiful option left in my life. You will not be able to change who I am with Allah. Now this is an important lesson because people mess us up. And when people mess us up, our sabr disappears. Our sabr goes away. 
And Yaqub is reminding himself, and this is an important distinction in understanding the phrase beautiful patience. When I translate this in English, it sounds like beautiful is a description of patience. But actually, I would argue that patience is an elaboration of beautiful. Like, let me put it in simpler words. If I say beautiful patience, you might say there may be different kinds of patience, like ugly patience, skinny patience, fat patience, beautiful patience, like there are different kinds of patiences. No. He's saying patience. Patience in the Quran is always beautiful, by the way. But the adding of the word beautiful is him telling himself, the reality of patience is that it is something what? Beautiful. It's not like there are other categories of patience that are not beautiful. Patience is always beautiful. But especially in an ugly situation where the last thing I want to do is be patient, I must remind myself that patience is a beautiful thing. Now what makes it a beautiful thing? That's what we're going to try to ask. Why? Because patience, if you think about sabr, it's only relevant in ugly situations. That's the only time it comes into play. If you're having an argument, it's ugly, you got to exhibit patience. If somebody's abusing you or somebody hurt you or some, you have a, a chance to take revenge and you shouldn't or you should say something back and you shouldn't, it's, in the, it's an ugly situation where you have to say it. There are scholars talk about patience in obeying Allah. As-sabr ala ta'a, right? Patience in obeying Allah. And they give examples like you have to have patience and fight against your sleep to wake up. Let me give you another situation. It is obedience to Allah to distribute the inheritance the way Allah prescribed in the Qur'an, Right? So you decide that you're going to give the mother the share that she deserves according to Allah's word, and the father his share, and the sister her share, and the brother his share, and the spouse, and you start giving the shares as they are described, and there's a huge dispute in the family, and everybody's mad at you because you're going by the book of Allah. And guess what? Things are getting real ugly because you're obeying Allah, right? And in that time, that ugly situation, the last thing you're thinking is patience right now looks beautiful. Right? Patience is surrounded by an ugly situation. There's no scenario in which you can say that I am being patient and you're surrounded by a bed of roses. <laughs> Nobody needs patience chilling on the beach, relax, unless they're getting COVID. I'm saying, <laughs> needs patience chilling on the beach, sipping on some orange juice, relaxing. Ah, I need some sabr right now. No, you don't need sabr. Sabr is when things don't work out. Sabr is when things go bad. So the word beautiful is almost like an oxymoron, like it doesn't make sense. You know, like, how can you put patience and beauty together? They, they don't go together. This is peculiar language from Yaqub and it's so powerful that thousands of years later, our Prophet ﷺ was told, فَاصْبِرْ sabran jamila. You exhibit patience, which kind? Beautiful patience. So this phrase that came out of Yaqub's mouth, thousands of years later, became part of Allah's word to the Prophet actually. So it's historical origin. The first encounter we have of it in the Qur'an is the mouth of Yaqub. And when the Prophet is being told to have it, it is as if there's a direct connection being made. I must understand what beautiful patience is from the example of Yaqub So let's go back to what it is. First and foremost, when I'm being patient, I'm doing something that Allah sees as beautiful. The situation is ugly. My feelings inside that I'm trying to repress to hold on to my patience is ugly. Everything around is dark and, you know, hopeless. But when I'm being patient, Allah sees a an unseen beauty in what you're doing because you're doing it because of Allah. 
Allah sees a beauty in something that nobody else, not even you can see it. The first thing that you understand and I understand about patience being beautiful is because Allah sees it as beautiful, that's good enough for me even if I can't see its beauty. That's beautiful enough because Allah sees it. Because patience is in fact beautiful. The second thing that I'd, that I'd say about beauty, the, the beauty of patience, is when I exhibit patience, patience is by the way the highest form of obedience to Allah. In Surah Al-Asr, humanity is in loss, right? And the climax of obedience to Allah. Who are the people that Allah is happy with? Who are not in loss? Faith. Good deeds. Counseling each other to the truth. And finally, the climax of it all. The most beautiful place a person can reach is this, this, this patience. You know? In the Quran. Who will reach that high state except people who have sabr? And who will reach that high state except people that have the greatest fortune? The greatest fortune, according to Allah, is to have sabr. That's in the Quran. Like the greatest fortune is to have this quality of sabr. When Allah described good people in the Quran, in Ayatul Bir, in Surah Al Baqarah, he says people that believe in Allah and the last day and they you know they, they give money and they establish prayer and they give zakah, all of those qualities. And at the end of all of those qualities, what was the final quality that Allah Azza gave? The climax of all goodness, over and above all else, they're people of patience. So sabr is not a small thing in the Quran. It's a pretty heavy, big thing. What is what is being understood here then is I'm doing something that pleases Allah and nothing is more beautiful in my life than doing something that pleases Allah. Let me give you this. It's easy to say that, but hard to relate to it. So let's give some examples to try to relate to this. Sometimes you have, for example, you have a child. You love your child. And you do something for your child to make them happy. You get them their favorite toy. They don't know that they got this toy. Buying that toy didn't make you happy. But you know the thought of the look on their face when you give it to them and the hug that they're going to give you and the way their eyes are going to bug open when they see it, the excitement, you're, you're living for that moment. That, that experience or building that Lego set together or whatever it is, when that excitement is there, that gives you happiness. Why? Because you did something that made your loved one happy. When you truly love someone, what makes them happy makes you happy. That's, it's, it's a sense of like their joy becomes yours. If you understand that in a human sense, then understand, oh, you know, doing something for your mom, doing something for your dad, doing something for some, you know, an elder. That, that makes them happy. Now think about this. When we exhibit patience, it may be that no one on earth is happy. <laughs> it could even be that you're not even happy. But you know one thing, who's happy? Allah is happy. And the fact that Allah is happy with what you're doing by showing patience of this kind, that is the most beautiful thing to you. It's this prized possession to you. Sufa sabrun jameel. This is gonna be the this is gonna be beautiful. I, I'll repeat something I said uh, you know so many days ago with when we talked about this the first time. Allah has taken something beautiful from me again. Allah has decided that I be deprived of yet another or two more of my children. 
and I will replace the loss of something beautiful with the gain of something beautiful. The loss of something beautiful in the worldly sense, like children, shall be replaced with something beautiful in the spiritual sense, sabr. Sabrun jameel. Children are beautiful. You know, the love of your child is beautiful. And, when, and their safety is beautiful. And when that's taken away, he says, I will replace it with something else that's beautiful, and that's sabr. So something beautiful is being replaced with something beautiful. And he, the, the, the remarkable thing is, he understands in his wisdom, what has been taken from me is something beautiful in this life, a child. But what I'm replacing with it with is something I may not understand its beauty fully, but it is beautiful in this life and it will beautify my next life too. فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ Let's move on. It's uh, I was thinking about Surah Al-Asr today in a couple of places. Um, in Surah Al-Asr, Allah is telling us to avoid loss, right? And this is important because usually sabr has to do with some kind of loss, right? You're, you're losing dignity in a conversation. You're losing money, you have to have sabr. You lose health, you have to have sabr. You lose a loved one, you have to have sabr. Sabr is many times, not all the time, but sabr is associated with some kind of loss. And in Surah Al-Asr, Allah flips that equation. He says everybody is in loss except the people who have sabr. But sabr only happens when you have loss. And Allah is saying, every other loss is bearable, but there's one loss above all the other losses. If you, don't, if you lose that, you've truly lost everything beautiful. And that's sabr itself. Actually, sabr is gain. And not having sabr is the ultimate loss. That's Surah Al-Asr. And in a sense, he's echoing that. He understands that success and beauty lies with holding on to that which is most valuable. And everything in life can come and go, my sabr shouldn't go. But then you can ask the question, well, no, you, you're talking about sabr as if sabr is your faith itself. But sabr is, a, is one thing, but it's not all of iman. The thing is iman in Allah, faith in Allah is many things. We have faith in the uniqueness of Allah. We have faith in the wisdom of Allah. We have faith in the provision given by Allah. We have faith in the plan of Allah. We have faith in, our faith in Allah has many dimensions, right? One of those dimensions is sabr over whatever Allah is Allah having us go through. That's one of our dimensions of iman. Actually, iman and sabr sometimes are, sometimes, not all the time, but iman, faith, and sabr, perseverance and patience, are sometimes interchangeable in the Qur'an. Think of Surah At-Taghabun. Allah says, مَا أَصَابَ مِن مُصِيبَةٍ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ No calamity strikes anyone except when Allah allows it to. Except by Allah's leave. وَمَن يُؤْمِن بِاللَّهِ يَهْدِي قَلْبَهُ And whoever would have faith in Allah, Allah will guide their heart. Now listen carefully. No calamity will strike except by Allah's permission. When a calamity strikes, what do you need? Sabr, right? He says, no calamity strikes except by Allah's permission. And whoever has faith in Allah, Allah will guide their heart. What does it mean to have faith in Allah when a calamity strikes? Having faith in Allah when a calamity strikes means you have sabr. No matter what happens. Uh, Amin Asan Islahi talked about this in very simple terms. And I think it's very easy to relate to for anybody that hears it. He said... Anybody can cry and wail and punch walls and then eventually sit down and be patient with the situation. But beautiful patience is 
that you don't do anything that makes you lose dignity. You don't do anything that Allah wouldn't want you to do while you're exhibiting those negative, while you're experiencing those negative emotions. Sabr is the ignorant side of you, the loud side of you, the obnoxious side of you, the angry side of you, the overwhelmed side of you, the wailing and crying side of you. All of those sides have been kept under control. So even though you experience those emotions, they are channeled in a way that's pleasing to Allah. That's beautiful patience. That's how he describes it. Right? So, so he says, in, in the Quran, Allah has made sabr and iman kind of together. And I thought about that because in Surah Al-Hujurat, Allah says, وَزَيَّنَهُ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ He made iman beautiful in your hearts. That's what Allah says. Iman is made beautiful in the heart of a believer. Well, if iman is made beautiful in the heart of a believer, and sometimes the only way to hold on to your iman is to have what? Sabr. Then sabr is beautiful in that moment. Because the most beautiful thing, our iman has to be preserved by way of that patience. May Allah make us people of sabr that is, that, whose beauty we can maintain inside of our hearts. Okay. Then... There are a couple other things about this beautiful patience that I have to share with you. Um, the fifth thing that I want to share with you. By the way, the, the first thing was Allah sees it as beautiful, therefore I'll believe that it's beautiful. The second thing is it makes Allah happy, and that's the most beautiful thing to me. The third thing was I'll replace something beautiful with something more beautiful. If I experience the loss of something beautiful, I'll replace it with something more beautiful, which is sabr. The fourth thing that I shared with you is Allah has made faith beautiful, therefore sabr has also been made beautiful. Then this is the fifth. Let me give you by analogy. It's going to sound a little weird, but it's okay. Weird is like my thing. Um, sometimes you go through an experience and it's really hard. But when it's all done and things worked out, you look back and say, man, last year I was in such a bad place. But the way Allah worked things out, I could never have imagined. It was amazing. It was just beautiful what Allah had planned. I didn't know it at the time. You know what I call that? I call that the post-game analysis. <laughs> when you're in the thick of it, when you're in the middle of it, you don't see it as something beautiful. When you go through all of it and it works out in the end, then you look back and say, wow, that was, that was a beautiful plan from Allah. In other words, not until the whole thing is over and you find relief, do you see the beauty in what Allah did. Isn't that the case? It's only after the game's over. Post-game analysis. Yaqub knows Allah so well that before the trial is over and he can one day look back and say how beautifully Allah planned everything. I'm going to find it easy to be patient because everything Allah does is beautiful in the end. I, I don't have to wait till the end to see how it worked out. I know Allah enough to know He never does things that are not beautiful in the end. It's good enough for me. So I'm already going to call it beautiful. Patience right now is beautiful because the end of it is actually something beautiful. And there's a caveat here. There's a kind of patience you can have while remaining good. So you're patient and committed to that which is right. But there's another kind of patience and commitment to things that are wrong. Some people are really committed to doing the wrong thing. And they exhibit quite a bit of patience in doing the wrong thing. What Allah describes as, فَمَا أَصْبَرَهُمْ عَلَى النَّارِ What amazing patience they have to deal with the fire. <laughs> like they're really committed. So they are, there's patience like that too, right? So what we're learning from that is, 
if you have patience while staying obedient to Allah, then the end is beautiful. And you don't have to wait for the end to see the end to know that it's beautiful. The final outcome is in favor of those who have taqwa of Allah. He already knows that. So he calls it beautiful already. Now, if you look at the words, if you if you go past Fasabrun Jamil in the ayah, you find Yaqub alayhi salam saying, Maybe Allah will bring all of them together to me. Yeah? Here's the thing. You would expect the following. If someone like me was in this situation, Allah, may Allah not put us in trials we can't handle, I would say, I hope Allah brings them all back to me, but until then, I will have patience and hopefully find beauty in it. In other words, the words, Allah will hopefully bring them back to me, would have been mentioned first. And then, but that since that hasn't happened yet, I shall exhibit what? Patience. That would be mentioned second. Do you see that the order is kind of out of whack here? What he's saying is sabrun jameel first. And asallahu an yatiyani bihim jami'an second. Let me put it to you another way so you understand this uniqueness of his, of his wording. What's the most beautiful thing to a man who's lost his children? To a father who's missing his kids? Who doesn't know if they're okay? What's the most beautiful thing to him? The most beautiful thing to him would be to be able to hug his kids again. To hear, I love you dad again. I'm okay dad. I'm here now. I won't go anywhere. Isn't that the most beautiful thought in his mind? Wouldn't that be the most beautiful thing for a father that has gone through so much grief now think about that he didn't use the word beauty for the reunion of his children with him he used the word beauty for what for sabr as if that most beautiful thing that he's been crying about for so many years at the end of it all because he understands his place in the world and he understands who his rub is he understands something. My feelings and what my feelings tell me is the most beautiful thing I will put as number two. And what Allah sees as more beautiful, I will put at number one. This is what it means to submit your heart to Allah. It's one thing to submit our actions to Allah. This ayah is an indication how his heart has submitted to Allah. The thing that you would think he finds most beautiful should be mentioned first and be described as a beautiful day. But no, sabr is beautiful. And then hopefully Allah will bring them all back to me altogether. Now look at the words hopefully or possibly. Is there a guarantee? No. And now you understand even more why he says, I will continue to find beauty and patience. Because maybe there will be a reunion. And maybe there won't be a reunion. But regardless, sabr will still be beautiful. I'm not going to say, when this works out the way I hope, then Allah did right by me. And if it doesn't work out the way I hope, and I don't get a reunion, then the sabr wasn't beautiful at all. No, sabr is beautiful already. That's first. Regardless of whether the reunion happens or not. You see that? It's so powerful that he understands that. Because for so many of us, if Allah does what we're hoping for, then patience is good. And if Allah does, 
the opposite of what we're hoping for, then what's the point of being patient? I didn't even get what I want. What's the point of that? He understands that sabr is a timeless thing and situations come and go. The constant in my life are not my children. The constant in my life is not the joy I get from people. The constant in my life is not even my own physical body and my health or my money. Nothing in my life is constant. But one thing that will constantly be beautiful, I will plant gardens in my garden and they will wither and die. I can plant a tree and it can grow and it can die. I can build a beautiful home and it can get damaged and get ugly. I can get a car and it can go bad. Things will come in my life. They can give me joy temporarily and they will go bad. They might not even go bad, but my the joy I get from them is no longer there. That can happen too. My emotions towards them can wither. But one thing that will always be beautiful, no matter who comes and goes in my life, no matter what comes and goes from my life, sabr will always be beautiful. But it would be nice to have my kids back too. You see that? Just because, and I'm ready for the worst. I'm ready because Allah is preparing me to be ready for, and Allah would never put me through a trial I can't handle. It's always going to be beautiful in the end, but my, the heart still wants what it wants. Allah didn't expect a human being to turn into an angel that has no wishes or desires. I desire my children. Even though I'm trying to find beauty and patience, which is a human struggle, it's not an easy thing to do. And by the way, the fact that he verbalized this, when they said this, I will find beauty and patience. You know what that means? Even for a prophet to be in a situation like this, for him to cry out and say, I need to remind myself that patience is in fact beautiful, means every human being needs a reminder, no matter how strong their faith in Allah. Even a prophet. Even a prophet needs to be reminded. So who are you and me? And sometimes we need to say things to ourselves. We need to verbally out loud say, I need, I need to come back to the basics. I need to come back to sabr. I need to find that in myself again. Sometimes you have to have self-talk. That's what he's doing. He's having a self-talk. Even though they can hear him. So he, فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ Look at the other beautiful thing in this ayah before I continue. On the, it started with You have made something convenient for yourselves Your egos have done this Allowed you to do something terrible Who was he talking to? Who was his focus on? His sons The people who hurt him in his life Yes? That's what his focus is on And immediately When it comes to sabr Where does his focus go? It's like They've been erased from the conversation and now it's just him and Allah and how beautiful it is to have sabr. And not you better bring my kids back. You better make this reunion. Allah will bring them back. There's this, the, the solid nature of a person's relationship with Allah that comes out not when they're praying. Because in prayer, our connection with Allah is actually significantly easier. The real nature of our connection with Allah will come out when we're dealing with people that hurt us. That's when you know whether or not you're bonded to Allah or not. That's when, if that conversation makes you say, Sabrun Jameel, and your focus is left. Because you know what happens with people is our minds, in our minds, we're constantly thinking about people, people that hurt us, where the thoughts of them invade our minds. And we keep, you know, what if they did this? I can't believe they did this. 
How, you know, how could they do that and not even feel anything? How can they get away with that? That's not fair what they did. And those thoughts are circling and circling in your head. That poison is brewing and brewing and brewing. And every time you have a free th- free moment, the thought of those people and what they did, sawwalat lahum anfusuhum amra in your life, whatever their egos made it easy for them to do. Those thoughts recur and recur and recur. What does Yaqub alayhi salam do? You've done something terrible. It does hurt me. But I will not allow my mind to be clouded with the ugliness of your actions and your words against your brother. I will rather inject my mind, my heart, with the beauty that I will find in patience. And because I don't have hopes in you, I have hopes in Allah, I will be optimistic that maybe Allah's plan is that He will bring everybody together. He can. Don't be, don't be naive with people. Don't hope that they'll, don't expect that they'll turn around and transform. But have hope in Allah. Maybe He'll bring all of them back together. It's incredible that He hasn't seen Yusuf in so many years and He's referring to him indirectly already again. Like maybe He'll come back too. And then He says, No doubt about it, it is He, He alone. He's the one who knows. He's the one who has all the wisdom. I don't know whether this terrible thing you're saying or what has happened because of either your stupidity or your allegation or you made it convenient. I don't know the whole story, but I know one thing. Whatever plan you make, there's someone who knows a plan much bigger than yours. He knows what's really going on. He knows what my heart feels. He knows where Binyamin is. He knows where Yusuf is. He knows what state they're in. He knows their needs better than I do. And he always has a plan. He's always and his plan always has wisdom. Al-Hakim. Al-Hakim. He's the one who knows. He's the one that has all the wisdom. And in, in the end, attributing knowledge and wisdom to Allah. Why? How do you know we're gonna come back? Dad, what are you talking about? They got arrested. He got arrested. Yusuf's gone. What are you talking about? He says, You don't know. He He's the only one who knows. And if this is his... I'm not saying this is Allah's plan. He said, I hope that's his plan. I hope Allah will bring them back. And he's the only one who knows whether he'll bring them back or not. And whether he brings them back or not, either way, his decision will be a wise decision. And that's going back to his sabr. My sabr comes from where? My sabr comes from knowing that whatever I'm going through, Allah knows about it. He's al-alim. And whatever he's planning for me is full of wisdom. And I trust his wisdom more than I trust my own desires. So he's al-Hakim. So after expressing his hope for how he wants the future to turn out, he then acknowledges his humility. Allah, Allah, But in the end, Allah knows better if that's good, good or not. And in the end, Allah knows in his wisdom whether that's the right thing or not. I relegate that to Allah. But at least I can let Allah know my hope. That's that's all I can all I can do. It's a remarkable statement of faith in 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 face of such a devastating calamity. It's hard enough. He's not even over the loss of Yusuf, as we will see. He's not over it. And while he's not over it already, now the loss of Binyamin on top. So it's loss on top of loss. And in the Quran, Allah in another place in the Quran. Allah describes the concept of loss or sadness and then another sadness. You're barely dealing with that one and another comes on top of that one. So sometimes your problems fall like domino effects, right? 
Like when's it going to stop? You're dealing with one catastrophe, another one comes and hits you. So Allah says, Allah says, He struck you with one overwhelming grief on top of another overwhelming grief so that, you're like, so that what? So you stop feeling bad about things you lose. And you don't become too excited and happy about things you get, things he gives you. So you understand something. What you get and what you lose is only a small part of this journey in life in which we will eventually even lose our own bodies. Life, gain and loss. You grant dominion and kingdom and power to whoever you want. You snatch it away from whoever you want. You dignify and honor whoever you want. You humiliate and make powerless whoever you want. In any situation, all good lies only in your hand. You are absolutely capable over everything. That is a resignation to Allah. That Allah Azza wa Jal is going to decide what's good or what's what's bad. And sometimes Allah says, I keep hitting you with one calamity on top of another. So you realize that you're not in control. You stop trying to hold on to things as if you're in charge. You need to let, understand your place as a slave. You are in the middle of an ocean. Don't get mad at the wave that slaps you. Oh, another one? <laughs> you're in the ocean. Understand how helpless you are. Learn to swim. Just learn to swim. Learn to navigate those waves. Stop complaining about the waves. Learn to navigate your ship. That's what this is. You will be hit again and again and again. And only those who continue to persevere and work the sails and navigate their ship are going to get through. That's it. And sometimes this is what Allah teaches you. It's not going to stop. I won't stop until you get... And sometimes Allah will hit us with calamity only so we can feel different. That's what I learned from that ayah in Al-Imran. He struck you with calamity over calamity so you stop feeling bad over what you've lost. So wait, Ya Allah, I went through all of that because you wanted to change the way I feel? Yeah, because what you feel is in your heart and the most valuable asset you have in this life that you will take back to Allah is what? Is your heart. So sometimes your heart needs a tune-up. And sometimes that tune-up requires you go through difficulty. And sometimes one difficulty is not enough. So you get slapped with another one on top of that one. And another one. And then all of a sudden your spiritual sinus is clear. And you can breathe. You're like, ah, I have clarity. Oh, that's what that means. I get it now. You know? He's still human He still wants his children together But he still understands that all knowledge lies with Allah He's the wise one Which is two-pronged If it doesn't work out I know that Allah knew I know that Allah knows what my heart wants And I trust Allah's wisdom And on the other When people question me You're still hoping for the impossible? Yeah, because I have hopes with someone Who knows way more than you And who's capable of planning way better than you are By the way, some people have looked at the word Al-Hakim at the end of this ayah As Dhu-Ihkam Which is a plausible meaning of Hakim Hakim means someone who stitches things together perfectly. So not just the wise. Another meaning of the name Hakim is that which is stitched together or the one who stitches things together perfectly. So 
What that means is Allah is taking all of these events and maybe these are scattered to me. They look like chaos to me, but they stitch together in this beautiful painting in the end. And he, he's the one who knows what he's doing. It's kind of like if you're watching a painter or an artist do their work, you're like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? Just wait. Because when the artist is at work, you can't see the final product. You're like, that color doesn't go with that color. What are you putting over there? You don't, and then when it's done, you're like, oh. Because you don't know how things come together. So part of the meaning of Hakim that he's saying, Allah knows, and Allah knows how to put things together. So just because I see events that are scattered and chaotic and traumatic, I don't know how they fit into the larger plan. I will leave that to Allah. This, this is a, a just a profound, profound ayah from so many dimensions, especially the, and this is the last thought I'll leave you with, how half of it was focused on people and the other half was focused on Allah mid-conversation. Right? He was talking to his sons, and then he just started focusing on Allah immediately. Right? And that's teaching us a very powerful lifeless, life, lifetime lesson that in difficult engagement with people that we love, or difficult engagement with people in general, that we have to understand that Allah is always in that conversation. They may not find Allah in that conversation. We better. We better be in, in that conversation immediately with Allah at the same time. And we may feel no shame or hesitation in verbalizing that. Like, talk to yourself and Allah directly out loud, not just in your head, not just in your heart. It's okay. Have no hesitation in having a conversation with Allah. He's a sami al-alim. And that'll, you know, speaking to Allah out loud, let me tell you, it has a psychological effect. It makes the conversation real to you. And if you first have a hesitation, like people are going to think I'm crazy. You know what that means? That means you don't really believe in the unseen as much as you think you do. Because if you have no hesitation speaking to Allah out loud, you know what that means? That means you can't see Him, but He's very real to you. He's very real. But when you have a hesitation speaking to Allah out loud, like who's going to think I'm crazy? Right? If you have that among your family, they think I'm they're going to think I'm crazy. Or you're having a conversation with Allah so they can hear it? No, no, no. Just so Allah hears it. Just acknowledging Allah's presence. This fortifies your iman. It makes your heart become comfortable with the presence of Allah in your life. And may Allah Azza give us that, that awareness and that presence of Allah in our hearts and have us live with that presence our entire lives. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.